The following is Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com. Welcome back. This is Nature of Business, and I am your host, Chrissy Coughlin. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Wednesday morning. We have with us now Andrew Hudson. He is the Director of Global Value Chain Initiatives at the Environmental Defense Fund. Andrew applies insights from supply chain management to drive environmental change with their corporate partners, advancing sustainable business practices throughout their operation operations. He currently leads the development and implementation of value chain strategies to reduce the impacts of global commodities on ecosystems, and he will definitely be explaining a little bit more about that. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, glad to be here. Well, happy Wednesday. Having a good day so far? So far, so good. Excellent. Um, well, let's let's uh, let's before we delve into our, our topics, we have a lot to talk about um, in our short interview here. Um, it would be great to start off with a general overview of uh, the Environmental Defense Fund, or EDF, um, and the Corporate Partnerships Program. Sure. So EDF is a nonpartisan, not-for-profit environmental advocacy organization based in New York. Our mission is to preserve the natural systems on which all life depends. Uh, we are guided by science and economics primarily, and we find practical and lasting solutions to the most serious environmental problems we face. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of the that's our mission. That's that's how we focus the the, the uh, our work on the many problems we face uh, as a planet. Um, in terms of corporate partnerships, you know, we are a global leader in partnering with businesses uh, for strong environmental and bottom line results. Um, in fact, we, we pioneered the approach to work with companies with our landmark a partnership with McDonald's over 20 years ago to reduce solid waste. Um, we have a 25-year um, track record working hand-in-hand with businesses, and you know, we, we, we start from the proposition that good environmental strategy is smart business strategy. And so what we do is we try to work with environmental leaders, I'm sorry, business leaders uh, across different sectors, uh, from private equity to retail to, to other, um, other sectors in order to, to create great examples, to drive concrete changes, and then spread those changes to others, replicate them, uh, others in the industry to create this transformational change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so, so examples, you know, we work in the retail industry. We've, we've had an office in Bentonville, Arkansas for a little over five years now because we believe that when you're working uh, with the retail sector, you have to work with the industry leader, and that, that is clearly Walmart. In the private equity space, we've been working with Carlisle and KKR and uh, Oak Hill Capital Partners, uh, very influential in their sectors. And so uh, the idea is you work with the leaders, you change the practices, you, you, you create what is, what is possible. And in many cases, our objective is really to create a, a green race to the top where uh, companies that can, it can spur innovation and send strong signals about the potential and the profitability of environmental sustainability. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's terrific. So um, I know that you, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about you specifically um, in, in a second, but I know that you were pivotal with the, uh, the opening of the office in, in Bentonville. What was that like? When in, in, I believe you went there in 2007. Give us yeah. an idea of what that whole experience was like. Um, well, there's a short version and a long version. We don't have enough time for the long version, so I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the, the short one. So, you know, in so the we'll just sort of flash back, you know, six years ago when I was uh, living in Washington D.C. I just um, I'd finished up my my Ph.D. where I, I'd written my dissertation on the role of supply chain mandates, as, as I called them at the time. There was an emerging idea that 
you know, businesses were starting to demand environmental uh, improvements from their vast networks of suppliers. Um, I kind of felt like I was out there in the wilderness, just kind of like mm-hmm. in isolation, you know, studying this stuff and working on it. And there were very few other people were, were thinking about this. And I was, uh, you know, work, thinking about whether I was going to go back to an academic job or, um, you know, going to do something else. I was working uh, at, for an operations consulting firm in, in D.C., and this job description came across my desk, and, and I read it, uh, and it was it seemed perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was an opportunity to work with EDF, um, an organization I'd respected, you know, for my entire uh, understanding of who the organization was. Um, to move to Bentonville, you know, right into the belly of the beast, so mm-hmm. to speak, and, and set up an office to, to work with Walmart. So for me, it was just a remarkable opportunity. You know, I saw it as the perfect laboratory to see if the things that I had researched and written about held any water. You know, it was the world's largest company, uh, incredible influence on how products are made and sold. And, you know, a lot of people even refer to it as, you know, the most powerful company that's ever existed. It works with an estimated 100,000 suppliers, has 200 million uh, weekly customers. And so for me, this was an opportunity to say, you know, if you're going to do this uh, and understand whether it works and really be an advocate, which, you know, in my <laughs> in my soul, that's what I was. I really wasn't. Uh, the academic part was a means to an end. Right. Um it was just an incredible opportunity for me to work hard to pursue this life goal that I've had of you know, shattering the myth that there's somehow a trade-off between environmental protection and economic prosperity. So um, that was kind of the, my personal rationale for, for doing it. And it was, um, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was quite a conversation that I had with my wife <laughs> that evening about you know, leaving um, our friends and our jobs uh, in in DC, and our really we had a really cool apartment where we could see the Capitol building, and there are no hills, and there are very few hills in DC. And we had this really weird apartment where we saw this like slice of the Capitol building. Mm. It was really great, and uh, to pack up and and move to the corner of the state of Arkansas, you know, tucked in between Oklahoma and Missouri, and um, just out in the middle of the country, and it was. Um, it was a big culture shock, uh, not a huge culture shock. You know, I'd, I'd lived in, I grew up in the Midwest and I, you know, I'd lived most of my adult life in the South. So, and those are two big elements that are in the state, mm-hmm. but it was a culture shock in terms of, you know, learning the culture of, of Walmart, uh, learning the culture of the retail industry, and also sort of getting used to um, kind of this, this, this part of the country that, um, you know, has its own idiosyncrasies and, uh, you know, taking that in all at once was, was quite an experience. Mm-hmm. And there, there are others. I mean, I have, I have yet to be, go to Bentonville, but there are other offices that, that open up. It seems like it's just sort of sprouted its own little mini city of, of, of interested parties that are working with Walmart. Did you find that, um, that aspect of it uh, interesting? Well, it's really interesting. Uh, I will say that we are still the only environmental group, uh, major environmental group, that has an office okay. in, in Bentonville. But, you know, there is um, quite a community of suppliers that have all set up shop to for the proximity. You know, it's not sure. easy to get there. Um, it's not quick to get there. And so when and things move very quickly mm-hmm. at Walmart. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if they have some decision that they, they want your input on or they want your help thinking about um, and it takes you, you know, two days to get there, uh, you know, based on, you know, from when they want you to when you can be in a meeting, that doesn't work if you want to have the influence that you um, that you want to have. And, you know, us understanding the important role that Walmart plays in the retail space, 
um, we knew we had to be faster than that. And right. so uh, we set up a shop, and my, my colleague Michelle Harvey and I uh, showed up right around the same time. And, um, you know, we were uh, boots on the ground for, for a while. Michelle is still there, and she's been joined by, by two other colleagues on the ground. So we still have three, three folks on the ground in Bentonville. And you, you escaped back to uh, where you're in North Carolina. Yeah, I'm in North Carolina. Um, this is where, you know, I, I, when we were determining, my wife and I, did, uh, we have, EDF has an office here, and when mm-hmm. we were determining uh, where to move back to, the, the organization was gracious enough to say, you know, pick what works with you guys. And yeah. um, uh, I had lived here, I did all my graduate work here in North Carolina, so we had friends, we had, uh, we knew the area, we, we really liked it, and so we decided to, to make our way back to the Raleigh-Durham area. That's great. Okay, so you have been, uh, at the, the in your current position, Director of Global Value Chain Initiatives, uh, at least according to LinkedIn, since October. Um, you, uh, and, and I mentioned in the intro that you lead the development and implementation of value change strategies to reduce the impacts of global commodities on ecosystems. Can you explain this to our listeners who may not understand what, what the lingo means <laughs> well there's linkedin lingo and there's sort of translate for people um i don't really use linkedin as my my communication platform but um well uh yeah i'll, I'll give a i mean I, i'll start with why this is really important yeah uh, and then i'll get into you know what we're, what we're working on so you know we are in the midst of you know what i like to call the mega trend to end all mega trends and that businesses really have to pay attention to for their own survival and frankly for the survival of the planet that's we have declining natural resources in a, in a time where we're facing massive increased consumption mm-hmm. you know by 2050 the population of the planet is going to be somewhere between 9 and 11 billion people i mean demographers vary on, on where they think it's going to go and we don't but that's the projection and each year until 2030 at least 150 million people will be entering the middle class mm-hmm. so that's going to bring about bring about 60 percent of the people on the planet to a middle income bracket. Uh, that means nearly 3 billion people consuming or wanting to consume like people in the developed world. Um, so that's, that's, that's pretty incredible when it, when, yeah. it, when it comes to, you know, how does the planet produce these things? Um, it is estimated, you know, given the, that kind of population growth that by 2050, you know, cereal grains uh, must increase, the production of those must increase by at least 940 million tons meat production by about 196 million tons, you know, oil crops and oil seeds, those sorts of things, by about palm oil, by at least 133 million tons. And if if we're expecting to do that, given current the way that we currently produce food and natural resources, we're going to need something like three planet Earths to feed, clothe, and entertain everybody that's going to be expected to, you know, eat, wear clothes, and be entertained. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is clearly not possible uh, given uh, the current condition of the planet and without wreaking havoc on ecosystems that scientists are already extremely concerned about uh, how, how those ecosystems are strained. And, you know, we are approaching a place and we've, we've gone beyond what a lot of scientists can continue, uh, consider to be safe operating spaces. Right. And, you know, that's, that's a real, real problem. That's a problem for people and it's particularly a problem for businesses. Um, particularly if you depend on natural resources or, or you, you like your customers. Um, it's, it's, it's a real challenge. You know, commodity price volatility has already, we've already seen it um, be in, increasingly uh, troubling for, for businesses. In the last 10 years, prices of, uh, of commodities, these widely used ones by businesses, have, have gone crazy. You know, cotton up 75%, palm oil by 230%. 
uh, and cocoa, just to give examples, by about 250%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for cotton, the, the prices are, you know, the highest they've been in 300 years. I was, I was talking to a colleague that works for an apparel manufacturer, uh, medium size, medium to large size apparel manufacturer, and they said that their cost just for cotton alone cost them $500 million more than it had you know, the year before. This was a conversation we had wow. about a year and a half ago. Wow. And, and that's incredible. And so you, it's, it's hard for you and when you're dealing with your customers to ab- absorb all of, all of that cost, but you're going to have to absorb a, a great deal of it in order to kind of keep within the willingness to pay of a lot of your customers. So that, that's clearly a, a problem, and we're on a collision course as a planet. But that's the bad news. You know, the, the good news is that this is an opportunity, that businesses that figure this out and they figure out how to operate within these constraints uh, are going to do well, and those that figure out how to solve the problems are, are, are going to, you know, be the, be the victors in, in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I may even go out even further and say that businesses that don't figure this out, they won't be in business by mid-century when we, when we really hit that, that point of 2050. So it's, it's essential for, um, for companies to figure this out and for us to figure it out as, as society. Right. So that, that's the context. You know, when we say, you know, what we're, when we're dealing with commodities, what are we, what are we worried about? Right. And there's there's certain pressures too. Like when you're working with the suppliers, like a, like a, a Walmart will have certain uh, they'll 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 say to their suppliers, you must abide by this or this and this, or else you're not going to be able to you know be a supplier. What is your? It'd be fun to maybe talk in the context of some of the current projects you're working on, um, just about where you see these companies going. Well, I mean, I think there's there's a few things um, we're talking about our, our, our projects that you know I'm still mostly uh, in strategy development uh, of, of of the new role, but I can tell you some of the things that I'm working on and, and how that's going to impact the way that companies companies work. Um, so. One of the favorite things about uh, about me working at UDF is that I have these amazingly talented uh, experts and colleagues from across the different programs in the organization. So climate, energy, ecosystems, health, and oceans, and, and different ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my new role, I, I, I get to interact with them a lot and get to work with them. And we work very closely um, uh, with them on a lot of projects because we've we've come to deeply understand that given the political climate in Washington. Uh, and the the difficulties each reaching international con- international consensus on uh, environmental issues that we have to seek out different points of leverage, and some of these different points of leverage is really using this private sector um, uh, leverage point uh, in in, gl- in global value chains, and we've been working on that in the corporate partnerships for a long time, but we're really starting to integrate the work that we do with the different program staff where you know, a lot of these guys are policy experts or scientists or economists, and we're, we're taking the, the best that they provide with the best that you know, we have in, in, in corporate partnerships to understand how we integrate these, these, these two areas. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the things that we're working on, you know, one is um, with our international climate team on, on RED, which is you know, the reducing emissions from deforestation and forest degradation in Brazil. It's an international market creating credits that can be traded, creating a macro system for um, uh, making forests more valuable alive than dead. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we're doing that is uh, we're working on creating deforestation-free supply chains, uh, particularly for, for soy and beef. So the idea is that a lot of companies out there really want to, I mean, nobody wants to tear down a forest to, to, to provide the products to their, um, 
to their customers. But a lot of companies have a hard time knowing where their stuff comes from. Mm-hmm. And that's not just true in commodities, that, that's true in, um, in manufactured goods as well. We can get into that um, in, in a little bit. But, yeah. um, but for beef and soy, um, you know, which are two of the, the crops that threaten the Amazon, Amazon biome the most, um, it's incredible. You know, 18% of, of global carbon emissions are estimated to come from uh, deforestation. Mm-hmm. And so if we can create ways that companies can actually verify that the products that they're getting are not created on deforested land, um, it makes them better off because they've, they've created a lot of, um, they've, a lot of companies have uh, expressed um, goals or pledges to not buy products that, that deforest uh, the Amazon or, or, or other other regions. And so we're, we're working hard to make that a reality by making it possible for companies to know that. So we're working to, to get the verification systems down and, and working uh, to get companies to adopt that verification platform. So that, that's, that's one thing. So that when they make these, these, when companies make these claims or they tell their suppliers, look, we're not going to do business with you if you, uh, you know, if you don't follow our, our guidelines and our expectations, that they can actually follow through on that. They actually know whether that's true. And in the current state of being, it's very, very difficult for companies to know where their products are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one thing. And on the other side, um, another, another project that's, that I'm really excited about uh, is our oceans team, uh, which has been, uh, which has set the goal, a very aggressive and very exciting goal to, uh, to make sure that 50% of the world's fisheries are sustainably managed in the next 10 years. And to do that, it's going to take a lot of engagement with, with big commodity fishing uh, organizations and others in the value chain, perhaps investors or banks or, or others. But we're working to you know, determine you know, how do we get to that place. And um, I think you know, as, a, as a guy, just, I just ha- a guy who likes to fish mm-hmm. and a guy that likes to eat fish, that's really exciting to me. And a, a guy who just had a, uh, just had a son who would like to take that son fishing and would like to share, uh, yeah. <laughs> share seafood with my kid as he gets older. It's a really exciting and uh, meaningful thing for me. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple of different things that, that we're working on. Wow. That's great. Um, uh, sorry, you, but you just had a son that's, that is he brand new or? Uh, three months. Oh, three months, congratulations. Uh, in okay. two days. Oh, yeah. congratulations. That's excellent. Thank you. Um, so in your prior position, um, and this is this actually, it's, it's really good for you to, to lay out some of these projects. I think it really helps our listeners um, to understand all these perspectives. And, and it sort of reminds me of sort of the IDEO of, you know, environmental, you know, you're getting all these different people from, um, with different perspectives coming together to help you know, solve these problems. And I think it's just incredibly important in this day and age, um, you know, to do that. So, uh, I'll just throw that out there, but it, let's talk about your prior position. You had, you had a particular focus on the retail industry, um, Chinese manufacturers and green finance opportunities. Talk to us a little bit about this. Sure. Um, so for the last four years, uh, we have been, we had the opportunity to work with hundreds of factories, um, with our retail and other brand partners. Um, to improve the environmental performance, particularly with energy in, in the factories. Um, and mm-hmm. and here's, what, here's what I can say, is that after you know, you know, being in hundreds of factories or, or you know, with, our, with our on-the-ground people and um, working with these companies, that the opportunity for improvement, particularly in energy, is, 
is huge and the solutions are, are fairly simple and, that, and that's the good news mm-hmm. you know typical factories that uh, that we worked with or you know went and sort of did uh, spot audits on uh, just a friendly spot audits to, to go and figure out what the opportunities were um, and these are suppliers to big global brands they, they typically waste between you know 30 and 50 percent of their energy and wow. we've actually seen that as high as 60 percent um, it, it's incredible and it's it's through fairly simple things, uh, you know, there will be air, there'll be holes in, in, in air hoses, you know, coming from air compressors. So the air compressors are working really hard. You have outdated air compressors. You've got motors that just aren't working really well. Um, you know, you've got the, you've got wrong lighting or inefficient lighting, um, those types of things. So we're not talking about anything that's really incredibly sexy in terms mm-hmm. of new technologies, um, things that we know that work and that can be, be put into place. Um, to, to give an example of this, you know, I, because this is what it really hit home for me, uh, you know, how, how simple this could be, is I was in a uh, Christmas light factory, a factory that produces, you know, the little strings mm-hmm. for, for holiday lights, uh, outside of uh, or very near uh, Guangzhou in, uh, in southern China. And, the, you know, our, our expert on the ground was kind of doing his little evaluation and figured out that based on the technology that was being used in the plant, we could reduce the energy um, around 40% simply by just swapping out motors in their plastic injection molding machines that were in their biggest workshop. That was just one workshop. It was their most energy intensive, but it was just simply swapping out the motors. And when we did, you know, the the quick calculation on what that would cost, uh, it really, we found that the the simple payback would be in less than six months. If you just from your energy savings that you would achieve by, by, by using these, uh, these, these new motors. And so it's, it's simple changes like that across the operations. And sometimes it's something that big and and profound. Sometimes it's, you're getting 15% here through lighting, you're getting 20% here through, um, through an air compressor, but it's, it's the readily, readily available technologies and they're, they're fairly obvious things that you need to do if, you've got, if you have the right people looking. How, how, um, was, how was that experience going into these, these factories? Were they, were they amenable to you coming in and, and making these changes and how, 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 did that, how did that actually work? So we would always go, <laughs> we weren't cold calling, you know, we were going <laughs> with, our, with our retail partners who were their customers. Okay. So um, retail or other, other brands that we work with and you know, we would show up and you know, it was fun. Uh, there was always this this little curve of how the meeting would go, and we would go in. They'd be very polite. We'd go sit in the conference room. They'd give us tea, and they'd sort of listen politely. Um, and uh, and then at one point, they would sort of understand that we weren't there to beat them over the head. That we were actually there to provide a service for them that that they could learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get excited. Um, particularly as we're, you know, we would, the way the meeting is, we went in, gave an introduction to what we wanted to do, and then we had our, you know, our on-the-ground technical guy that would walk through the factory and kind of, you know, look at the different technologies that were in place and how they could be improved, and then we'd do a debrief. And the curve was, they were incredibly skeptical but polite, because their customers <laughs> were in the room, right. to getting really excited that this was possible. And then there was almost this moment of disbelief at the end that, like, this can't be true, wow. because, um, you know, those the savings are so big. So, um there's this this learning curve that kind of happened, this excitement curve that would happen um, over the course of these meetings, uh, and, and it was always really interesting, and it was it was fairly predictable. Okay, okay, but but overall, you would leave leave, and, and most of them were absolutely amenable to implementing these changes and, and listening and taking things to heart, taking advice. Um, you know that that's a that's a really challenging answer. I think okay. the 
they would get really excited, but there are other barriers that are in place okay. that um, where it makes implementation pretty difficult. And that's okay. something we're still facing or we're, we're trying to overcome. I think the, you know, the, the place where we are now is that we know that we know what's possible. Mm-hmm. We know that it's easy. We know, we know that's easy in terms of technically easy. Mm-hmm. We know that, uh, that there's, there's payback, but there are all other sorts of barriers that are in place that we really need to overcome mm-hmm. in order to get, um, get the changes that are necessary and that, that, that we really need. Okay. Make it happen. Okay. Well, we've got a little bit less than than five minutes. Um, I know that that EDF has a bunch of other successful programs in the corporate partnerships programs: Green Return, Sustainable Logistics, EDF Climate Corps, and Climate Corps. And I know that our listeners can get certainly get on the EDF site, edf.org, and find out more. How about we talk about one of those um, for the sake of time? Sure. Um, well, here, well, I'll say this though. I mean, our, our, I'll start with our Climate Corps, and mm-hmm. we can actually, and I'll probably. What I'll say is that our Climate Corps program, um, our listeners can learn more about. Actually, uh, there's a webcast on GreenBiz on January 22nd at 1 p.m. Excellent. Where our Vice President Gwen Ruda will be talking to former Climate Corps. Um, uh, fellows from Adidas and Ingersoll Rand to talk about how companies can can take advantage of this. But it's okay. an incredible company, or it's an incredible program where MBAs get hired for the summer into uh, companies, and they can they, they look for energy savings. And you know, to date, we've actually, on average, we find about a million dollars in cost savings over the ten to twelve weeks that fellows are there. So it's it's really wow. really an exciting exciting program. Wow. Um, the other program that I think is um, extraordinarily exciting and, and really impactful is our Green Returns program. And that's where we have, we've been working with leading private equity firms like KKR and the Carlyle Group and Oak Hill Capital Partners to improve environmental performance at the companies that they own and manage. And we're trying to create a new model for the, for the industry. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is particularly exciting because private equity is you know, really uniquely positioned to find value that other that others can't because mm-hmm. the sector invests in thousands of companies, employs millions of people, and controls assets that are worth about 8% of U.S. GDP. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we work with these big, very influential private equity companies we can, we can, that have a lot of control over the portfolio companies that they own, we can get changes pretty quickly. And they can learn that it's, it's worth their while. It's adding a screen that's never, never been there before that, you know, our partnerships have been able to uh, enable. And through that, we've been able to save those companies um, over $644 million. We've been able to find and to reduce 1.2 million metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions, 3.4 million tons of waste, 13.2 million cubic meters of water, and all these great environmental benefits that, uh, and financial benefits that the companies never looked at before. And wow. um, our private equity team actually just released uh, their, their, what they call ESG, which is Environmental and Social Governance Management Tool. ESG is kind of in, in the private equity space, how, how this stuff is referred to, mm-hmm. usually kind of CSR for, for private equity. You know, it's the first of its kind that defines the practices necessary to build a successful environmental management program at these firms, and it created a framework to assess and analyze how these initiatives can be uh, put into place at um, at other private equity firms of, of all sizes, so the big guys and the small guys, because there there are a lot of private equity companies out there that could benefit from this. Right. So those are two two big programs that we have in corporate partnerships that we're very proud of and that we're very very excited about. It's really really cool. All right, we have a little bit. We have less than a minute. So um, talk to us about maybe some exi- exciting projects that are coming on the pike for you, or maybe ones we haven't discussed. Uh, well, there's a few things. We've got our uh, next 
So next month, we'll be announcing the results of our first collaboration on uh, sustainable uh, logistics, so freight emissions, oh, neat. Uh, okay. and how to reduce those. We'll be doing that at the Green Biz Forum in New York. Uh, that's really exciting, and I hope your listeners look out for, for the, um, the results in the, from those case studies. Yep. Um, and, you know, just reiterating, that I think the, the two things I'm most personally excited about are, you know, our, our work with deforestation-free supply chains mm-hmm. uh, and, and our oceans work. I think, um, you know, for me personally, I've ended up, I started my my own life in the environmental field wanting to be Indiana Jones, <laughs> you know, and I, I somehow ended up, uh, you know, wanting, wanting to be out in the forest, and uh, I somehow ended up in windowless conference rooms at, at oh, retailers. I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, for me, to getting back into these two areas that are very natural resource-based, um, and, you know, and out there with with the fish and, yeah. uh, and, and with the forest, it, it's really personally very exciting, and I know that as an organization, we're committed to doing big things, and and that we're going to achieve big things. Well, it's fabulous. Well, thank you, Andrew. This has been really, really uh, educational, I know, for our listeners and and fun to talk to you and get to know you a little more. (laughs) Uh, It's been a lot of fun for me as well. The proceeding has been Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com. 